HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Essex Market. Essex Market is New York City's most historic public market, proudly located on Manhattan's Lower East Side. Find the freshest produce, meat, fish, and specialty foods from over 30 unique vendors. Learn more about the market's family of small neighborhood businesses at EssexMarket.nyc. This week on Meet and 3, we're looking at things that have changed and things that are still in flux. From mothers balancing new lifestyles to the social stigma surrounding pumpkin spice. You got rid of the star rating system and talked about, like, I'm not going to use the word ethnic when I talk about food. They recognized that safety was our motivation, and, and they were very you know, receptive to the changes, understanding what we were trying to accomplish. A cupcake or a piece of bacon or a glass of rosé is not inherently gendered. Tune in to Meet and 3 HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you some. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Souther Teague. And I'm Greg Benson. Greg, my friend, how goes it? Oh, it 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 goes, man. <laughs> how's, how's it going with you? I mean, we are dealing with the ever-changing seas of what's going on with uh, bureaucracy and lack of government intervention to keep its uh, constituency safe. Um, But what's going on across the country is that slowly, like dominoes, places are shutting back down, and many are going all the way back to pre—I guess pre-phase one, right? Which is no indoor, no outdoor, back down to just sort of grocery. Phase zero, yeah, yeah, grocery and essential. We know that that's coming in New York. There's no way we're going to get to dodge this bullet. And frankly, uh, you know, we've talked off air and maybe some on air. My opinion is we should probably have not been open still. Uh, We should still have been shut down. Um, But, you know, now we're in this very hesitant and ugly state where, you know, I just during this pandemic have opened a business that seats only eight people at, at a seating. And we only do two seatings a night. So it's all reservations. But because of this looming shutdown, and, of course, the change in the weather. Today is supposed to be around 20 degrees uh, with the wind chill outside in New York. Um, my reservations are dropping off. So it's like I, I'm, I'm almost kind of begging the government to go ahead and shut me down, put me out of my misery, because 
to be open. Consumer confidence isn't there because of the numbers spiking all over the place. The weather is dropping, so people aren't coming out to, to do any of the outdoor dining that we had. We've already decided to call tonight's service, even though it's only 2 o'clock. Um, there's no way we're going to be able to open outside tonight. Um, and, and, and uh, you know, it's, it's really just, I don't know, I, I feel a lot of anxiety about it. How are you feeling about this stuff as a person who, again, you've been out of work this whole time? What's, what's your, what are your thoughts? I mean, my, my thoughts are exactly what your thoughts are and exactly what the thoughts of, frankly, every bar owner that I've talked to during this whole thing are. You know, I last weekend, um, I was I was bored. I decided to, uh, there's a, a beloved bar of mine that I used to live around the corner from. Now it's a nice half hour walk. It's called Phil's. I call going there a pilgrimage because I have a very expensive English degree and I'm smart like that. <laughs> and I went there and I got to talking to the owner and she was just very adamantly like, shut it down, like shut it down, but pay us. You know, she's her, her, her plan, which, you know, I mean, obviously she's not in charge. Maybe we'd be better off if she was, but her plan was like, give everybody 72 hours notice, shut everything down for two weeks. She's like bars, gyms, restaurants nail salons, grocery stores, like everything, like tell people like stock up, get things in your fridge, make sure you're good. And then things are going to be totally shut and, you know, do the the short, sharp shock necessary to, to shut this down, but make sure people are taken care of. And, you know, you and I were, were talking before the show that there are right now, undoubtedly, people in Albany saying, oh, man, we really need to shut this down to save lives. But at the same time, they're saying, oh, man, people are going to be really pissed at us that, you know, this is going to trash the economy right before Thanksgiving and the holidays. And no one, I'm sure, is saying, oh, man, we should definitely pay these small businesses and their employees for the inconvenience, not the not the inconvenience is such a small word for the, <laughs> the huge blow that this is going to be for their yearly bottom line and for their livelihood and for their ability to pay rent like it's it's bad. Yeah, it's you know, again, it's brutal. And I, I, I lay most of the blame on the federal government for for deciding that you know every state had control over their own situation, even though we are all one thing, we're all stitched together, we're connected. Um, you know, uh, I have a very dear friend, uh, Carrie, who lives in Australia, and you know, she said it was a very difficult five months when they shut down the country. <coughs> they shut down everything except grocery and pharmacy, and they uh, had a mandate that said you you couldn't go more than five kilometers kilometers because they're on that system kilometers from Fancy. your home yeah from your home. Couldn't go more than five kilometers from your home without suffering a fine uh, for five months. But currently, this, the country of Australia has less cases than the fucking White House here in America. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that, that, that makes no fucking sense to me that they're kind of back up. They're like, hey, you want to go get a beer, see a music show, hit a, hit a sporting event? Like, we, we're good, right? Meanwhile, we're eight months in. We're, we're snapping back into numbers that currently our numbers already are higher than the numbers we had back in May. Uh, how is consumer confidence up to go out to a restaurant when they wouldn't they wouldn't have gone out to a restaurant in May? <laughs> you know, like it's 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 brutal. And I, I again, it's very frustrating as a business owner because if the government were to say to me, or what the government would say, period, that that what I do, what we do, isn't essential, which it isn't. We like to joke and laugh and think that it's essential, but it's not. It's complete luxury to drink. Of course, um, you know, if the government would say we're not essential and we have to close then I could look at my landlord and have a negotiating tool. But as long as the government says I can open to any capacity, 25%, outdoor, to go, whatever the government says I can do, then the landlord says, well, you owe me money. 
The government yeah. says, so, so even if I decide as an owner, well, you know what, I'm going to close because I feel, frankly, personally unsafe, and I feel unsafe for my guests, and I feel unsafe for my team. Um, even if I decide that, uh, my landlord's, I decide to close, even though the government says I can be open, then the landlord's going to go, you can close, that's fine. You owe me money, though, because the government says you can be open. So it's a really, I feel handcuffed to the business right now. And it's quite frustrating, and I try not to let it boil over, but it's a little bit boiling over right now because I'm just sort of like, please just let the hammer fall. Like, let us get shut down. Let us figure out, let, let us, you know, drop back 10 and take a look at this situation and, and examine what our next strategic moves are uh, instead of co the constant scramble, the, the, you know, the, you know, I feel like, again, I'm writing these giant equations on a whiteboard and I'm missing some of the numbers, but I'm still trying to solve it, even though some of those numbers are unsolvable. I have to have them to solve the thing. And it keeps me awake at night, and it makes me quite upset. Well, I mean, also, my my fear is that, you know, because we've we've totally locked down already this year, back in, in March and April, at least here in New York, my concern is that, you know, at that time, the the only nice thing about it was that there was this real sense of like, hey, this sucks, but we're all in this together. We're doing this to keep ourselves safe. We're doing this to keep our neighbors safe. We're doing this to keep our community safe. Like this is, it sucks, but it's a group effort. And really, you know, at the risk of getting to Jimmy Stewart here, like that's kind of <laughs> when this country is at its best. You know, I mean, when we all are like, hey, we're all, we're all in different cars, but we're all going the same way. So let's be nice to each other and band together and try and make this work. I don't think you get two of those. <laughs> I frankly doubt that because we've done it once already, people are going to look at a, a potential second shutdown, especially now that it's not nice enough to like even, you know, go out up on your roof or like take a picnic to the park down the street. If you want to, people are going to look at another shutdown and be like, fuck that. Not everybody is going to say, fuck that. I'm not going to say, fuck that. But I think enough people are going to say, we did this in March and it didn't do anything. And we're right back here. Why should I, right. you know, put my right. entire life on hold now for something that didn't even work the first time, you know? Right, right. There's going to be, there were always people who weren't joining in. Uh, now I think you're right. The, those same people who didn't join in the first time aren't going to join in this time. And there are going to be more people not joining in because they're, they're like, well, it didn't work. So why bother? Uh, exactly. Yeah, the math, the math uh, seems sadly stuck and against us. But hey, let's talk about more fun and convivial stuff. Let's <laughs> do that. Because that's, that's usually because that's usually what this show's all about. <laughs> uh, you know, the past eight past eight months. Uh, Damon, we miss you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We need that. We need that silver lining to the dark cloud that is Southern Teague. Um, so, Greg, who we got in the studio with us today? What are we going to talk about uh, today? We've got. Lynette Marrero and Jessica Gonzalez, and we're gonna just talk about talk about whatever the hell they want to talk about because yeah. they are two luminaries in the industry, and it is amazing to have both of you in the studio. Thank you so much for joining us, y'all. Thanks. Uh, yeah, you, like, you got me all bummed out. I, I oh, know. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, that's why we had to bring. I'm bring silver linings. Yeah, yeah. I know. That's why we had to bring you in now. You know, it's yeah. like we've talked ourselves down, and now we need to have you all bring us back up. Yeah, where are well, you? Uh, you're in the virtual studio with us. Where are you calling in from? We're calling from Beacon, New York, so just up in the Hudson Valley. Um, which I think that's maybe kind of like the tale of two cities right now. We're kind of talking like. I just officially moved out of my city apartment a few weeks ago, but really wasn't there since about March. 
right? Um, you know, lucky, very luckily, you know, bought this place a long time ago. Um, so I think it's a different experience. Like, I, and I and I see it right because the you know I'm still working with the Llama Group, and so I'm experiencing it all, but in a very strange sort of like. Uh, it's it's a weird thing. It's like I was not in New York during 9-11. I was actually traveling doing a show in California and there's this weird feeling of like not fully understanding a certain amount of the grief because you're not right there. And this is kind of feeling like a little bit of that similar feeling just because, you know, how much harder it's been on the city and how much, you know, longer restrictions lasted and and because of space and all the things that make, you know, New York City great all at once and also really tough all at the yeah. same time. It's also well, why I was, I was sad not to be in the city during the election. <laughs> like also the, the other side of the coin is when things are really great there, it's really good to be involved and have the whole feeling of the city and all the energy of the city uh, and what it means to be part of New York. Yeah. It did. It did feel really fitting that that day uh, was seventy three degrees. It was just like yeah. I consistently think about like I think that'll be the last nice day in so many were like versions of the word nice in twenty twenty that we're gonna have. Yeah. Well, yeah. The- you never know. The weather is like a yo yo. I think we're gonna have like nice weather again later this week. So you know, I did think like we might have those random sixty degree days and. No, when there's a few. Yeah, there's 20, even 50 will feel nice. Yeah. 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 There's a few on the horizon, actually. Lynette, you're right. You're, you're definitely silver lining all this for us. Um, so, so Jess, you've, you've, so Lynette, you bought a home up there. Uh, you, you said a little bit a while ago, but you finally now kind yeah. of fully moved up there. And Jess, you've been living up in, uh, up in that area for a couple of years now, right? Um, a little over six years. I bought a house up here. Um, it was really nice that Lynette was up here too, because this is like the perfect place I felt like moving from. It had a great community and, um, you know, it just felt like home immediately when I got here. So, uh, yeah, six years. Wow. I can't believe that much time has passed, but I guess you're right. Uh, you would know. Um, but before, (laughs) but but before jumping up there, uh, you were here in New York city. You were, you were my neighbor for a while. You were at death and co, um, just down the street from Memorial okay. Margot. Then you moved over to be the head bartender, the opening head bartender at the Nomad. Uh, yep. Took down a bunch of awards from Tales of the Cocktail, etc. over there. Obviously a phenomenal program. Um, what made you decide to say to yourself, I'm going to go small town? Well, um, my husband and I had always planned to move um, somewhere in the Hudson Valley. And uh, I had actually decided that I wanted to move up into the Hudson Valley before I went to the Nomad. So we were already looking at different towns and seeing, but then when that opportunity came up and I was like, okay, this is a really good opportunity though. I don't wanna not do this. So let's stick around for a little longer. I was like, let me give it a year. And then a year passed and I was like, no, I can't leave yet. (laughs) It's like, it'd be like leaving a child at home and it's not ready. And then I kind of saw that, you know what, this place is running without me. Um, They had all these amazing bartenders and the staff was just so incredible that it was, it was in place and it was time for me to, uh, you know, uh, pursue my sort of like other dreams in my life besides just my career goals. I feel like that's almost one of the hardest uh, parts of running anything from any aspect is is getting to that moment of you know really uh i mean i'm 
I'm not a dad, but I almost feel like it's kind of like watching your kid go away to college or something. You know, it's like you've created this thing and and you love it and you put so much into it and then like letting it free and kind of stand on its own and being like, yeah, this is it's it's re- it's ready to to live without me is is a hard thing to do for sure. Yeah, it, it definitely was. And it, it's been, you know, um, you know, a strange transition being up here. And it's uh, I, I do like enjoy the pace, but there's definitely a different sort of understanding and a different way that you handle like when I consult up here comparatively to the way that something would run in the city. It's like a different learning curve. You have different kind of staffing issues and uh, it, it overall, it's like a different animal. But um, but in a lot of ways, there's it's just easier to live. So I kind of feel like <laughs> it's about, I feel a life balance that, um, that makes me happy anyway. Is there like a learning curve to, to, you know, because when you first move to New York City, it's like, gearing yourself up to the crazy pace of it is it ta- it takes a long time before you finally feel like at home and like you're finally you know not just being swept away on the stream like a, a wayward salmon is there a similar powering <laughs> down that you have to go through when you move uh, upstate and, oh. and do things that sound so alien to me like buy a house with a yard <laughs> um actually yes but what i would do is i would just go down to the city all the time, <laughs> and because uh, it's really we're not that far from the city. I would I was still um, you know doing Diageo Bar and going down to the city on a pretty regular basis. Like when Lynette and I did Llama in together, that was I was already living up here, um, and so I was in the city all the time. So I got I like had to get my fix. You know what I mean? It's like oh I need mm-hmm. to go to the city, and I just crashed on like a lot of couches. <laughs> <laughs> Right, recharge your battery and, and take that energy and 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 whatnot back up back up there and, and infuse it into that you know community. Lynette, you have been doing consulting uh, here in New York City and kind of all over the place and world. So you probably have like kind of a code switch you have to switch into and out of like high pace New York City to you know maybe again slower pace where you're at up there now. Um, how did you two come to start working together? Well, uh, obviously we were good friends and knew each other, you know, death and company was like my backyard at, at the time when it opened, I lived four blocks away on second street, uh, between A and B above one of my favorite restaurants, which is still there. So if you have a chance to go visit them, go see El Posto Acanto. It's amazing food and oh, hell yeah. running oh, since 1999 and Beatrice and Julio are just the best. Um, but, uh, you know, so we were there a lot. And then when we got to get closer, you know, through, through Nomad and friends and working together different places, you know, we started and we were, she was up here and we were just, you know, and I started getting so she busy was with my mama bear, by the way. <laughs> she was also my mama bear. So I used to go to her whenever I needed like, like advice on things that were, you know, industry. So she yeah. was my mama bear. <laughs> so we, we just grew into a friendship. And as I got busier and had to travel more, I real, you know, I always have been someone who's consulted with people, whether it was like Jim Kearns and I or Brian Miller and I, I just want, you know, I'm a partnerships kind of person. And when Lama Inn came up, I knew that I wanted to do it, but, you know, I needed to really form a good partnership with someone who, you know, works really hard and has, you know, has the ability to do, you know, we complement each other in a lot with the different skill sets, you know, obviously there's always crossover, but 
um, in the what you really need for consulting is just kind of organization and putting all the systems in place and then being around to check in on it and make sure that it's, you know, continuing and quality control and all of that. And, and when I was traveling a ton, you know, it's kind of reversed, like Lama in, we did it together. And then, uh, you know, Jess had a kid, <laughs> Alec, the best. And, awesome. um, <laughs> and so then I took over those projects. Uh, but at that point to, you know, to Greg's point, you know, the, the head bartender kind of situations had all settled out. So it was a time where I could just kind of creative direct them and, and keep with that. And I still am working with those, with the group, um, you know, with Eric uh, Ramirez and Juan Correa, and we are still building a big llama family. Um, but every, anytime a project came across my plate that I was like, all right, this is going to be great. Just is always the first person I think of, because we already know how to work together um, and our synergies and our backgrounds are, you know, we come from the classic, the time in New York when all that, the foundation is the, is the same. So that just became like a good partnership. And so we're very fortunate to have, you know, weird opportunities just pop up yes. <laughs> at the strangest of times. Well, at the strangest of times and in the strangest of places. And also that you wound up, you know, that you already found, you know, founded a friendship and, and, uh, you know, to whatever level that was partnership here in the city. And then you both yeah. wound up living pretty close to one another outside the city. And you can continue on <laughs> with that, with that work ethic in, in another location. And that's pretty amazing. Um, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. We're going to come back and keep talking to Lynette Marrero and Jessica Gonzalez about what's going on up there in Beacon, New York. So stay tuned to the speakeasy. We'll be right back. Essex Market is a food lover's paradise with over 30 unique vendors selling everything from one-of-a-kind spices to daily grocery staples and even scratch-made prepared foods. At HRN, we believe that buying from local purveyors is one of the best ways to support an equitable food system. That's why this holiday season we'll be shopping from the vendors at Essex Market. Not only are their offerings fresh and delicious, they're also affordable and sold by a community of passionate small business owners. This connection is what has made Essex Market a stalwart in New York City's food landscape for the last 80 years. Now located in a brand new building, Essex Market continues to be one of the most unique food experiences in New York. At Essex Market, you'll find Lower East Side locals shopping for plantains and avocados alongside visitors browsing freshly baked bread and locally produced cheeses. If this gets you hungry, order from one of the market's many prepared food vendors serving up dishes from Peru, Thailand, Morocco, and beyond. Learn more and shop online for local same and next day delivery at essexmarket.nyc. And we are back. You were listening to The Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. Uh, today, we're talking with Lynette Marrero and Jess Gonzalez. Uh, but before we jump back into that, I, I realized during the break that at the beginning of the show, I said, we miss you, Damon. And then I just dropped it. So times being what they are, I want to assure everybody, Damon is totally fine. Uh, he hasn't been able to join the show for a couple of weeks, and we do miss his sunshiny optimism. But, you know, don't worry. He's out there living his, his best life out in California, and we miss him every week in the levity he brings to the show, but he is, as always, living his truth. So yeah, let yeah, us... <laughs> so yeah, now... California California cowboy selling brandy. Uh, you know, he's, <laughs> exactly. He's, he's living all the best things. He's landing he on his feet. LA, right? 
Uh, no, he's uh, still up in the sort of a uh, Marin area. Because I consider people lost once they move to LA. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, halfway, no. halfway kidding. <laughs> no, I'd say that sounded like maybe twenty five percent kidding to me from where I was. <laughs> I've lost a lot of really good friends to LA, and I, I, oh. so I suppose I just am still uh, holding a grudge. I'm a Scorpio, so you know it's deep. Yeah. <laughs> it's deep I just. Cut. I, I have to say before we get back into talking about uh, what what you both are up to is that I really I've never been to Los Angeles and I really 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 want to go because every time this happens without fail anytime I have a friend go there they come back and I ask them how was your trip and they go oh my god it was amazing you would hate it there <laughs> inevitably every yeah. time. And yeah. when I ask why, they say, oh, it's just like really chill and laid back and like people don't really rush. And I'm like, are you saying I'm too much of a high strung anxiety monster to enjoy a place where people are just kind of chilled out? And they're like, yeah, basically. And I'm like, OK, that's fair. So I want to go to see if it lives up to this expectation that I have that everyone will just be so like blissed out that I won't have a place to put all of my East Coast style stress. I want to experience it at some point. I'll have to curate your specific locations where you have to go. To exactly. The other we'll bad effects. We'll plan a trip for you. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so talk to us a little bit uh, or a little bit about Dutch's Spirits. Uh, you guys uh, got open during the pandemic. Uh, uh, I'm sure that was Herculean. Uh, talk to us about what all that entailed and where you're at right now with it. Yeah, well, you know, like everything during a pandemic, it took time because, you know, getting a spirit – uh, well, you know, it was already previously launched um, several years ago and um, to relaunch a product during a time when shipping times are lagging and bottles and, and distillers are busy and all that stuff uh, just seemed to take some time. So uh, we ended up opening the tasting room um, early September, which has the it's a New York store. It's curated. And then we put a really cute bar in the downstairs with all you know, New York spirits, et cetera, et cetera. And that opened before we got the product in. So the product was taking time, but we still had opportunity. I mean, fall up in the Hudson Valley is ridiculously beautiful. The property is stunning. And, you know, it, there were so many great days to be outside, really distanced and be able to have some great cocktails. Um, and so... We opened, you know, and now the product's here, which is super exciting. We've we've had that rolling for the last month or so. And so that's been that's been great now to anchor it. But it did give us an opportunity to kind of build a store and a character anyway for what we're doing. So it's nice that people were coming up and enjoying the space. Uh, we got really lucky with some awesome staff. Actually, uh, one of the bartenders who we found uh, is Stephen Mercado, who used to work at New York Distilling Company. Uh and so it was just great to see, like, there were people that we knew who were up here and wanted work. We're like, that's great. <laughs> New York City friend. Yeah. And now you're up here. So we don't really have to teach you much. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And the other guy, Tim Guy, is the other. And he just, you know, he's already, uh, he has a wealth of information and knowledge. And he's really good at sales. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, great. How do we find you people and it was almost too easy. Yeah, he was moving up from Long Island, so his giving up his apartment over on Long Island and moving up to uh, up to Rhinebeck area. So it was kind of like perfect timing. And randomly at the end of his interview, I found out he's actually my entertainment lawyer's son, but he didn't drop that until we basically hired him. 
like, hey, you know, <laughs> classic. <really> bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty funny. He's like, uh, I know who you are. <laughs> so it's it's so we're super lucky. Great crew, really experienced, uh, especially in an area that's a little more, you know, it's an hour further than Beacon, which you know, Beacon is very city city easy. Like Jess was saying, like you can hop on the train, get down. Dia Beacon is here, so that brings you know a nice group of travelers and and a diverse international. Um, clientele who come to visit the museum and then we'll walk through town so you have a bit more access but you know this Duchess Spirits is you have to have a car or take a tour to get there and be there so it, it is a little more remote um, but stunning and you know when it's when it's events seasons are back and all that it'll be you know those perfect settings um, but right now as we've been really lucky that there are a lot of people kind of hanging out up north so you know the business that we were able to pull in this summer was really nice to just see families coming together people you know i had a randomly one of my best friends his friends moved like 15 minutes away and he's been up there all summer visiting them so he he was like oh i'll come visit you so he's come up twice and so that's that's kind of the the silver lining of of you know opening right now is that people are you know experiencing what's happening up here and that's been that's been really good. So the the product, I, I don't. Do you remember when it came out originally, Souther? Uh, I I feel like uh, I was talking to Greg off the air before we got on. I feel like I do, um, but at the same time, I can't picture the bottle. And I looked on the website and I didn't see the bottle there either. So yeah, uh, if I could... it was like a little uh, moonshine jug handle sort of thing. And right, uh, Remy, uh, who used to work over what what was it before Saxon and Pearl? I was scratching my brain to remember what it was before Saxon and Pearl. Uh, oh, damn it. Isn't that, I, I'm like, I could not, I cannot remember the name. Yeah. But one of the girls who worked there, she was their brand ambassador. Um, but, you know, the product is, uh, has been relaunched. It's been distilled uh, a bit differently. So it's before it was very neutral grain. Now it has a bit more character. Um, you know, it's, Sugar Wash Moonshine has very much a, a, you know, like an identity, like the whole place up there, the whole place up there, um, the whole place up there uh, has like a vibe, you know, the, the guy, um, Dutch, <laughs> sorry, I'm going to, um, either way, it has, it's a fun space, but the product has changed a bit um, in a way that's a bit more complex. Um, so that's, that's really nice about it. Hold yeah. on one second. Uh, well, maybe Jess, you can address something. Talk about what what that means when she said sugar washed moonshine. Do you can you give the listener a little bit more intel? Oh yes, yes. Sorry, I'm like, what are you asking? Me? Sorry, we're trying to talk to each other, and uh, sign language is working. <laughs> I was like, what are you asking? We're like, me? we're not we're not non verbally communicating well. <laughs> I was like, uh, I'm totally not catching what you're saying. Sorry. Um, yeah, so back to the Sugar Wash Moonshine. Um, yeah, it's, it has a, I know that it's doing the turbinado sugar is, um, what they're washing it with right now. Um, but it's a cane based spirit. Uh, it's, um, done in a copper pot. And I think the way that it's sort of changed now comparatively to the way it was is it has a little more funkiness, a little more flavor that isn't so on the vanilla side, a little less neutral. So it does almost make you think some like agricole notes are 
are present and uh yeah. but it's still really really smooth and easy to drink it's still um but you have a little bit more character than the uh than the original bottling so it's it's something to check out you know it, it it's uh if you've had it in the past uh you know to see see how how the bottles now differ but um yeah what uh what are you using it in what's your number one selling cocktail that you're using it in at the tasting room I think right you, now it's the uh, what's the word the cherry? Oh right, um, I'm like, what do we call that? I know. We're trying to remember the name of that one. We don't actually like work and make the drinks. <laughs> I'm like, what uh-huh. do we call that again? <laughs> but yeah, we we did one with um, some of the Warwick uh, sour cherry uh, liqueur that's selling very well. Uh, they they really. Um, we try and, you know, because we're doing all New York products as a New York farm distiller um, license. So that sort of like lend itself to a lot of what we've been inspired to make the cocktails um, kind of fit within that realm. And, sure. Uh, uh, actually, if you don't mind, can you t- can you tell the listener a little bit what, about what that means? I know what it means. It means you, you can only use certain stuff. So what does that mean when you have the New York farm distillery license? So as it, that means you're getting your your license based upon the fact that you are a, a farm that, you know, does have the spirit that you're making in some way, shape or form on property, uh, either bottling or, um, or actually distilling. Uh, uh, with that, you're only allowed to have and sell other things that are New York uh, products. But within that, that goes a little deeper, you know, it still has to be made with New York a certain percentage of it has to be made with um, New York actual product. So right, the, the, so like let's say if you wanted to use like a rye, it has to be made in New York, but also the rye mm-hmm. itself was grown in New York, things like that. Yeah, right? Exactly, exactly. An apple brandy so made I, with apples grown in New York, etc. Yeah, and that that poses some cool uh, challenges because it limits you, and I think limitations are often a way to find creativity. Uh, so that probably poses some pretty interesting things because if you said you want to make like a I don't know, a Negroni, suddenly you have to find a New York made and grown vermouth as long as well yeah. as a New York made and grown, you know, bitter like Campari uh, alongside of your spirit. Uh, and, and how is that, uh, how does that treat you guys? Is that, is that, you find that to yeah. be a challenge or do you find that to be a hardship? It's been fun. I mean, so the, the name of the cocktail that's selling best is called the Crime Boss. And I knew I couldn't remember why <laughs> because we, we've come up with like cheeky names or everything, but you know, uh, there are some limitations. So one, one finding an affordable New York state vermouth has actually been challenging. Um, you know, cause we want to be able, obviously there's whiskey is great. We have lots of whiskey options, but we want to be able to make Manhattans and it's really hard cause we're trying to find the right sort of uh, sweet vermouth that's priced appropriately to be able to do it. So those are some of the challenges. So some of the classics are, are hard to um, make, you know, we, we were like hoping that San Agrestis would, would work. Uh, and we'd be able to make use their Negroni or their Mara, but some of their stuff doesn't quite call, qualify because too many ingredients not from New York. So, oh. you know, it's, it's an interesting Bummer. challenge and we have to just kind of rethink stuff. So like, you know, the crime boss with the sour cherry is basically like a mule variation. And so it's, it's something familiar, but then we're using the, the local liqueurs to bump it up. So that's been, it's, you have to kind of take your classics and, and change them a bit just with what we have. Um, so luckily we also have, uh, bitters, a bitters line. So 
that is made or that was made at Duchess Spirits. We have a ton of those, those. So we're able to use those to kind of also like add other little notes and hints of things. Um, but it's, it's definitely been a challenge to, to recreate like the classics list that we'll end up having to come up with is, will be very finite based on what we can <laughs> actually use. A bit limited, but is the tasting uh, aspect has been going really well where we have flights that we offer and um, we allow people to taste everything within like half, uh, one ounce pour, two ounce pours and price them accordingly so that you can taste something that's a little more expensive or, and, and, and not have to, um, and then you can possibly buy the bottle. And that's right, going because, really, really well. Because as that license, you can sell, obviously, a glass of cocktail, but you can also sell your bottle that you make, but you can also sell other bottles, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's always, that's not just uh, pandemic rules. I'm, I'm selling bottles out of the bar right now because the restrictions have been lifted, but that's an always thing for that license, right? Exactly. So that's part and that, of and the that's, whole that's, idea. And that's been fun to set up, especially when you're in a place that's a little more remote. You know, so people are coming up for the day, trying a bunch of cool products. Uh, and then they can buy them and take them away. Like we've actually brought in some interesting stuff like Brooklyn Cura is actually doing really well <laughs> there because yeah, really uh, well. uh, Tim really likes it. He actually was running an Izakaya back on Long Island. So he already knew the product and loved it. And so, um, you know, people are coming up and buying and, you know, some there's you know, Hill Rock's not too far away. So those, those guys who work in the distillery come over quite a bit. So there's like a good kind of camaraderie of all the local distilleries, which is really nice. So everyone's referring people over, you know, they'll send people over to Dutch's and then we'll send people over there. So it's a really nice community aspect. Yeah. Um, and now that we have the bottles in stock, it's been great because they were, you know, it had built a reputation and people were emailing and calling for it. We didn't have it for a little bit now they're like clamoring for it and coming back, you know, it's like people had a, a memory. It's just nice to like revive something that people felt very strongly about for them to come up and, you know, to have, be able to come and get it. It's been, it's been nice to see that. So it's great. Um, sure. Yeah, I imagine, I imagine Alpine, who is the developer, you know, was found the place and thought about, you know, it had a history and it had, had a lot going on and to give it new life. Yeah. I imagine the, the license that you have and being able to sell other people's models all from New York you become a hub for, you know, New York, especially New York residents who who like, oh, I drove way up state one time and I got this bottle, but it's so far away. But, oh, now they sell it here and I can go taste it and yeah. I can buy it. And we still, like, you... we, we, we stocked, like, more of the geekier New York stuff, too. Like, the, there's, like, those taste of New York stores, mm -hmm. which tend to have certain type of things. But we, we're digging deep to find, like, the gems that maybe you don't see as often. So it's been, Ooh. it's very Just helpful. Weed through all the Statue of Liberty figurines to the good stuff they hide <laughs> yeah, in the yeah, yeah, Pretty yeah. much, pretty much. Like <laughs> we've, we've actually brought in a bunch of the Cooperstown stuff. We just have not brought in the ones that look like baseballs. We're like, no. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Elegant yeah. bottlings, not the kitschy uh, yeah. in a baseball format. Yeah, there's what do you, can I, Ahead, Can Dave. I ask what the I, – I guess I'm just a little bit curious because, like you said, there's so many limitations and so many things you can't do. I mean, we were talking a minute ago about the you know lengths you would have to go to make a Negroni, which is a relatively <laughs> simple thing if you just grab Campari from Italy and gin from London and vermouth from wherever you can get it. But I, I, I guess I'm curious sort of what the impetus was to – in a way, I imagine it's kind of like we're going to do this with one hand tied behind our back a little bit, but 
also, you know, constraints breed creativity. And like Souther was saying, it's like if you can't go the easy way, sometimes you have to get you you find really amazing and creative things by going the hard way. But sort of what was the I guess what was the 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 process or the way you re- reached the decision of saying like no, we're going to be just New York centric, just do this stuff and and really highlight the spirits that are coming out of this region. I think it was pretty much. I mean, not really by choice. It's part of just the process of opening um, a distillery uh, in New York and the different tiers of licensing you have to go through and process. Um, so I think that there are levels of the farm license, but this is the the current one that we have, which is class, I think, D. Um, oh, interesting. So, yeah, so that's that's totally like, you know, so we actually got as consultants and, and, and beverage directors kind of got handed a like, all right, here's our license. These are our limitations. How can you go? How, well, how creative can you be around this? So, which I've always kind of liked that. I mean, I remember when I did Rye House uh, with Jimmy Kearns and, you know, we chose to narrow it down and do all like 90% American because uh, we were a whiskey bar and we're like, well, let's see how much American made products we could. And it gave us like a really good, uh, direction to follow. Like we also then there also carry then higher end whiskeys from other countries because they would sell. Um, but we really like our vodka was local, uh, was, you know, American. And we just kind of really went for it. Like, well, it's American kind of gastropub. Let's see how deep we can get. And we're, we're lucky that, you know, gin, especially gin in New York has really, there's some really good, op- good prospects. So we're killing it with a really nice gin and tonic in the summer when we had the gin and Tomer's tonic, which is also, um, made and packaged actually not too far from a beacon. So Tomer, Tomer actually bottles, uh, Tom Richter bottles his stuff really close by, uh, to where, where we are up in the Hudson Valley. So it was like, it made sense. And that did really well over the summer too. It's like, okay, well, we can have a local tonic. That's great. And then I think because the environment of being more like kind of backyard, like, you know, we set up like a pop-up bar down the, in the bitters barn and it had kind of a fun, like sort of Governor's Islandy sort of feel, like people with you know, picnic <laughs> tables and, and a pizza truck, and so it, we were able to kind of get really casual people. But I think what was great is that um, people were excited that you know we were using fresh juice and all the simple things that it takes to just make a cocktail better. Um, and when you have an opportunity to showcase that for people and open their eyes to a better cocktail, you know, like some of the things we put on, I was very surprised that it was the number one selling drink. And I was like, all right, that's, that's an interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Related, related to that conversation. I would like to ask, like if you're having difficulty, quote unquote difficulty, kind of creating the classics just based on availability of product, that means you're having to make sort of originals uh, a lot more often maybe than, than, than I might in my barn in New York city. Um, How's that being received? Are people being adventurous and, and saying, I'll try this liqueur that I've never heard of. And, uh, you know, some flavor combination that, that seems obtuse to me, like, or are they being timid or what's the, what's the, what's the reaction from the guest? No, they're really, you're going for it. Yeah. I think it's been really positive and I, I don't think that people up there are, are shying away from trying new things. And um, I do think there's a real, like, di- there's a lot of different people that come through and from different areas. And it's not just from the, 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 um, we have a lot of regulars up there that are like, hey, we live in Pine Plains and this is down the street from us. We're going to be here every weekend. Um, 
and they're drinking cocktails and they're some of them are always drinking beer and you know there's something for everybody anyways so you know you kind of put together a menu that's going to make you know uh people happy and you kind of like uh have them walk out the door with a good experience um i don't think it's too exclusionary either like we didn't go uh out on any too crazy of a limb i don't think where um you know, some products can, once you taste them, they can seem offensive. Um, you know, like somebody who's never had Chinar might be like, oh my God, this is a little bit much for me. But, uh, you know, the, the, the flavors that we're using have been pretty, like, um, approachable at the same time. Sure. I mean, you, you, you're you both savvy and you know what you're doing about making guests feel good and making delicious drinks, but sometimes it's hard to get people over the hurdle of just the menu. You know, if they see words they don't know, even though it might be, it might be right up their alley as far as flavor goes, but they just don't yeah. understand it. So they're not going to, well, so there's glad, a lot of people coming up for the, you know, the history of, of Duchess spirits anyway. So they're coming up, you know, with the whole gangster thing and they already knew, um, you know, the lore. So they're, you know, a lot of people have come up to tour it and be like, Oh, I used to know someone who used to live here back in the day, or my grandmother used to talk about this place. And then, you know, we're naming the cocktails very cheeky, you know, like the crime box <laughs> boss and, you know, the, the gangsters mall and, you know, those kind of things that kind of, you know, they're, they're name, they're picking up for a name. It's, it's, right. it's quick advertising, you yep. know, the gumshoe. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah I get it. <laughs> yeah, so they're not reading past like, oh, that's a fun name. What spirits uh, in it? Cool. Right, right, <laughs> you know? right. Yeah, the rest of the ingredients almost seem to not matter to them. They're like, oh, it's got whiskey in it. I'll get it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. It's like going to the racetrack and picking your horse based on the name. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and, and often, you know, you win, you win enough, you have fun. Um, so it looks like we're at sort of wrap-up time here. Uh, how can people get a hold of some of the products uh, right now? So there is actually a store. If you go on uh, the Instagram, it's probably the easiest way um, mm -hmm. to uh, always find it and link through. Um, so you'll find find those there. We have them. Uh, we carry Duchess Spirits at um, at Wonder Bar and Beacon. So if you come to Wonder Bar and Beacon, you could try it. We have a cocktail on the menu there. There, all the cocktails are named after movies. So we, it's the Angels with Dirty Faces cocktail of Duchess <laughs> Moonshine. I'm like, we'll keep the gangster theme, but make it movie theme too. Um, right. That it's at Duchess Spirits on Instagram, and then that'll send you to the uh, the store with, uh, with the product, or you can just go by and visit. The tasting room is open Friday night and then Saturday and Sunday. Um, and, you know, you can come up, grab, grab a bottle. Uh, there's a beautiful patio, grab a cocktail. And, and chill out and hang out on a really beautiful big property. Some leaves are still hanging on, but not many. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This last windstorm kind of cleared all the leaves off the tree on my street. Yeah. Um, uh, well, really awesome to have the both of you on uh, and chatting with us about everything that's going on up there in Beacon. Um, we miss you here in New York City, but, uh, you know, as soon as the, everything gets back to... I guess I've stopped saying normal. As soon as everything gets yeah. back to to something reasonable, <laughs> look forward to visiting um, in both directions. You know, I've never been up that way, so well, it's it's nice. Got to come visit, and uh, I'll, I'll, next time I'm in the city, I'm in, in the city about once or once a week usually. Uh, so when I find myself in the East Village, I'll come by and grab myself a 
delicious bitter cocktail go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, love to love to host you, love to see you, and show you the new store that I built. And speaking of the store, I'm gonna get in touch with you off air because you mentioned uh, you have bitters. Do you, uh, maybe I should get some of those in my store? Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's it for this week's episode of the Speakeasy. Uh, thanks so much for listening, everybody. Uh, uh, tune in each week for more product, uh, for more uh, shows just like this. Um, we gotta we gotta cut out because we got another show coming up right after this one. So, uh, Lynette and Jess, really nice to have you on the air. Thanks so much for spending your time with us. Uh, and you know, I feel like there was much more to be said, so we're gonna have to have you back on soon. All right, all right, thank you. All right, ladies. Yeah, cheers, ladies. Thank you so much. Cheers, y'all. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues. That's him. It's gonna get you The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fair, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows that you like. Tell your friends. And please, Join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.